not only is it unfair, it's it's grossly misleading and unscientific. Like, you're not you're not going to change this trajectory, being hooked on hot pockets, and 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 frozen you know pizza. Well, I think I think the first thing you have to realize is that you're not helpless. Um, you know, helplessness is incredibly disempowering. The only the only thing the only thing um, better than you meeting your dream is helping somebody else meet theirs. And I believe the world will always rise to embrace integrity, passionate, creative ideas. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is he's the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. What's up, guys? Ryan Muncy here. Welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. We have a really special episode for you this week. As you could hear, you may recognize in the uh, the teaser intro there the voice of the one and only Joel Salatin. Uh, Joel's world-famous farm, Polyface Farms, is only 90 minutes from where I live here in Virginia. I was lucky enough to get to spend half a day uh, one Saturday morning a few weeks ago with Joel. Um, so normally we like to get these podcasts out to you a lot faster. The turnaround time on this one was a little bit longer for a couple reasons. One, because it was on location, there was a little bit more editing that we needed to do. Two, I just got married and we were in Jamaica last week. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Big update, big news there. Um, but anyway, back to this episode, Joel is, is one of those guys who is, he's, he's very magnetic um, he's an amazing person. He just, he, he vibrates at a really, really high level and it's hard to not enjoy uh, yourself around him. It's hard to not be inspired and motivated when you hear him speak. He's so smart on so many different levels. This is a great episode. It's not just about farming. We did have Joel on a podcast um, a few episodes ago. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that episode. Uh, I believe the title was um, The Truth About Agriculture and and, and Money. Um that was a great episode. Like I said, this one, we do talk a little bit about farming and, and Joel's practices, the, the polyculture um, farming practice and how it can fix a lot of what's wrong with the orthodoxy, as Joel refers to it. Uh, but there's a big emphasis in this episode on um, finding and following your passion, on living with integrity, on embracing personal responsibility, um, the choices that we make how those choices impact our lives, um, how to to go about self-evolution and and growth and progress. And like I said, this is just a really, really fantastic episode. I can't thank Joel enough for his time and allowing uh, me and us to to share with him, uh, to go to his farm to do this. Hope you guys really enjoy this one. Pay real close attention at about the nine minute mark. Uh, his cat walks in. It's really cool. His cat actually, uh, well, I'm not going to ruin the surprise. You got to watch the video or, or listen to the podcast. Uh, but even if you're listening, make sure you check out the video just to see that and to see the view. Uh, his farm is just amazing. Uh, so quick reminder, guys, the natural, uh, the optimal performance podcast is sponsored by natural stacks. Natural stacks makes 
100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more on building optimal mental and physical performance into your life, check out naturalstacks.com. Quick uh, housekeeping note here, we're moving the blog back to optimalperformance.com. So if you want the links and show notes, go to optimalperformance.com slash Joel Salatin for this episode. We've got a ton of links on there because Joel uh, shared so much knowledge, so much information with us. And as always, make sure you guys go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, let us know how much you like the show. That does really help our ratings, help us get more exposure. And Again, if the Optimal Performance Podcast is helping you, if you enjoy it, please share it with someone you know who will benefit from and and enjoy what we're doing here. Um, That's it. I'm going to stop talking. Enjoy this episode. Uh, Thank you guys for your support. Have you seen the movie Cowspiracy? I have not watched it, but I'm very, very familiar with it. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And I think the movie, I've seen the movie, I think it did a great job of highlighting some of the problems and flaws yes. with the factory farming system, right. orthodoxy as you call right, it. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think they used the movie as propaganda to be vegetarians. Um, I don't want to be drinking soy protein shakes and meal replacements, uh, you know, in the next five or ten years, mm-hmm. nor do I think that the world needs to start doing that in order to continue to feed the world. So I want to kind of highlight some of what they highlighted in the movie and have you talk about why that's not an issue with agriculture, but an issue with agriculture as the the factory farming (laughs) system. Exactly, exactly. So um, I I have some of the stats uh, on my phone. I saved Uh some of the notes, but um, you may be familiar with some of these. Um, Sure. They're phenomenal statistics in terms of how detrimental that orthodoxy is. Well, they follow the UN Long Shadow Report, which is which is a very similar, uh, similar thing. Um, uh, Stuff put out by World uh, World Watch Institute. Well, yeah. They 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 glum data from a lot of different sources that I'm you know quite familiar with. Right. Well, so so here's some of the stats. Uh, mm-hmm. Meat and dairy industry produces more greenhouse gas than all cars, boats, planes, and trains combined. Okay. The problem with that is that they they are putting into meat and dairy. They're putting into it all of the um, all of the cost of all of the infrastructure for everything. In other words, um, it would be similar to saying your greenhouse gas emissions include all of the emissions that went into the PVC and the plumbing of your house, the copper tubing or the copper wiring to run the electric lights, the roofing, the metal on the roof, and, and and your and your automobile um, uh, that sits in the driveway, uh, the asphalt that covered your lane. I, I mean, you can go right, on and on, right. but, but you see what I'm saying. And and, and so to to um, to include all of those aspects as if there's some sort of an inherent 
uh, an inherent uh, you know, direct um, requirement for an herbivore to prune forage not only is it unfair it's it's grossly misleading and unscientific and that's exactly that that's exactly the kind of thing that of course you know brings the you know brings the data and the conclusions into um, into question so i mean it's kind of like any other scientific study where if you want to manipulate the data to make it say what you want you can do that liars figure and figures lie yeah. i mean that's sure that's well, I mean, it's like you said, it's, it's, those aren't things that are inherent to the herbivores. No. That's due to the practices that we use currently. Right. So, so all of the, all of the data points, all the data points, um, uh, are, are assuming a certain model. And in fact, uh, after the movie came out, Alan Savory, who's the founder of the holistic management resource, um, model, uh, got an audience with the producers and um, and you know presented his scientific data uh, on the alternative and if you want more of his information you can just google uh, Alan Savory on TED Talks he's probably got you know TED Talks are only 20 minutes and it's probably the most succinct direct uh, um, explanation of how the herbivore prairie, the herbivore prairie dynamic, when correctly practiced, is probably the single biggest um, uh, catalyst for reversing climate change or atmospheric carbon than anything else. And uh, we got an audience with them, and uh, you know they they basically the the way I heard the story was well you know we've, we've done the movie we're not backing down you know it, it, it just stonewalling and, and and forget the face of, of the other side and so um so none of that uh, ancillary material you know from concrete to machinery to buildings to whatever is necessary uh in the herbivore prairie relationship well, a couple of things you mentioned there. So so the TED Talk that you mentioned, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So for you guys listening, go to naturalstacks.com. We'll have a link to that. You can go check that out. Uh, the second thing there where you're talking about infrastructure, you spoke in length about that when I saw you in Highland. We covered that in a previous podcast. I believe it's episode 51. So if you guys go back and listen to that one, you'll hear Joel talk about how not investing in depreciating <laughs> infrastructure is an incredible idea for any business. Yes. I mean, it works for farming because that's where you where you are. Absolutely. But that yeah. could be and should be, and you're seeing that now. I mean, the, the dematerialization of, of all businesses, yes. it's, it's Uber. It, it's it, why it, Netflix yeah. took over Blockbuster. Exactly. It's the Uberization. It's the yeah. Uberization of everything. Uh, it, it's part of deinstitutionalizing. Right. Uh, reducing, the, reducing the physical infrastructure is, is, is part of deinstitutionalizing. We're seeing it right now. I mean, just this week, uh, two front-page articles on Wall Street Journal dealing with the food system and how the supermarkets are losing market share to people like us, to Amazon Fresh, uh, and to to um, you know to to, mar- to uh, electronic aggregation, and the you know the cost of the um, of the the cost of the supermarket, the overhead of the bricks and mortar. 
and, and the handicapped parking and the and the the you know bathrooms and the fluorescent lighting and those overheads uh, and then the alternative is is really uh, hurting so you know now they're offering you know um, free free childcare for 90 minutes per customer and yoga classes and you know trying to get people in uh, offering things that you can't get on the internet because the internet is is gradually chopping away We've got a predator. We've got a yeah. predator right here. Look at that. <laughs> I, I really hope that this is on camera because if, if you're not watching the video version of this, we are live with Joel at Polyface Farm. And hey, as Lord. he was giving that answer, that's if, if it looked like I wasn't paying attention, his one of his farm cats walked right up to us and actually came to Joel's feet and presented him with a dead mouse. <laughs> so, so you're seeing, we're, we're getting a glimpse of the the symbiotic relationship, uh, the, the polyculture here yes. at Polyface. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the cats are part of our vermin control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, you mentioned, uh, the, the Ted talk and how yeah. these farming practices can actually help reduce, uh, carbon emissions and greenhouse. That's actually one of the very next statistics was that, uh, livestock is responsible for over 51% of greenhouse gas emissions. So again, I, I don't have the, the specifics from being in your position, but yeah. I know that that's due to improper practices. Sure, well, what's interesting to realize, and I think that it, it's good to just to just make a little semicolon here and, and, and point out that five to 600 years ago, there were way more animals in North America than there are today. Um, you know, uh, there there were herds of seven million bison. Um, the the wolf population was over a million wolves. Now that's a big animal. I mean, right. it's bigger than it's bigger than your biggest domestic dog. Okay, right. uh, big appetite. You know, um, lots of calories. You know, they, they all right. Um, over a million beavers um, in the early 1800s. A flock of uh, uh, passenger pigeons went over uh, uh, Audubon when he was out somewhere in the woods, and he he recorded in his journal that he couldn't see the sun for three days for the flock of birds that went over him. Now you know blotting out the sun for three days. I mean I've never seen anything like that. Even even for five <laughs> minutes or three minutes. Even for right. five or three three or five minutes. Right. And 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 uh, and Native Americans um, recorded stories of. Of, for example, um, these flocks of birds, many of them were passenger pigeons, that would come in and literally uh, break down the branches of the of the nearby forest. In other words, they they'd wake up in the morning and, and hear all the the branches of the trees had broken off, so you just had the you know the spires sticking up, and, and there was an inch of uh, bird manure on the ground, and um, and the the elk, the antelope, the deer. Um, you know, it was for, for the Native Americans uh, in prim using primitive tools and hunting. I mean, imagine I read a I read an account um, of where you know they, they ran the bison off a cliff in order to, to, to hunt them, right? And you got to remember, the bison was essentially a, a four-legged supermarket. I mean, you know, the horns the horns were digging tools. The hide was plastic. You know, until modern plastic, leather. Was the, was the malleable fabric? You know, you you could form it, and you could you know. So 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 leather uh, was 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 plastic, um, 
bones were digging carving tools ornamental tools uh, of course you know the flesh you could eat the sinew was cordage all right tight uh, cordage that, that wouldn't that was rot resistant as opposed to you know uh, um, whatever biomass you know fiber cordage plant-based cordage that would rot real fast so if you wanted something that would really hold up for a long long time you know the, the sinew cordage was uh, was great um, what I'm getting at is that, 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 that the bison offered the tools, the shelter, and, and, and the food uh, of, of, you know, of, of peoples for a long time. Right. And, and when you add up the weight of all of these, it actually adds up to more weight than all the chickens in Tyson houses, all the cows in feedlots, all the pigs in... in confinement houses whatever um, in fact in fact we are just today we are today at the same amount or, or, or level of animals uh, poundage as we were in 1900 and the reason is because the millions of oxen horses and mules that were the energy source pre-petroleum have now been replaced by domestic, you know, stock that we that we eat, and so the actual pound. I'm belaboring the point, but I I, I think it's it's important for us to all realize right. that that if all of this degradation is inherently because of animals, it would have been happening all along. Absolutely, it would have been happening all along. So 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 the the, the data points, the degradation that we're seeing, is a result of of somehow all of this animal weight is being removed from its symbiotic niche that's the point so in other words humans are messing up nature humans are messing up the role the the the, the place i mean it's the same as as i always use the phrase you know look it, if you wanted to go study education in america and you picked let's say that you picked the worst classroom in the worst school district of the most ill-behaved students and the poorest teacher in the in the in the system right and you studied that what well, you would conclude at the end well we we but we better stop this education it, it's not a good thing you know right and that's exactly what's happened with all of this the things like cowspiracy the un long shadow report the the, the data points are all taken from an incredibly incorrect system and of course the obvious conclusion is well we need we need to get rid of that whole thing instead of saying well what would it look like if all the components if it was the best teacher in the best school with the best students with the most uh, right. involved parents right. blah 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 then suddenly you'd say well I want I want every child to have this experience right and, and that that's the flip over that's that's an incredible analogy. I think that's uh, I think that'll ring home or hit home with a lot of people listening. So um, you know, so just to be clear, I mean, the way that you farm, the way that you teach, and and try to mm -hmm. educate people about would be that ideal classroom. Yes, education. the ideal classroom. And so and so here, where we're where we're looking at. Okay, so so how did these herbivores function? Well, they functioned as as prairie pruners, as pruners of the prairie, if you will. So. So we don't plant any seeds. 
um, it's all it's all um, you know native or nativized mm -hmm. grasses, legumes, forbs. You know this, this diversity. Uh, so you can go out here in the field, and in you know in an acre, there's 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 thirty varieties of plants, as opposed to just corn or beans or alfalfa or squash or whatever. Okay, and and that mosaic, that that mosaic of diversity produces more um, more various pollens. You know, so as you look out, you know, well, guess what? There's always something blooming. It's a blooming place. Uh, and, and a blooming place, you know, encourages bees and bumblebees and the pollinators and spider webs and, and, and you know, uh, field mice and uh, this plethora yeah. of life, okay, uh, comes. And so, so using the herbivores as prairie pruners here um, completely changes the you know the sequestering of, of atmospheric carbon into the soil due to the um, explosive growth of the biomass that is stimulated by strategic pruning so we're not just throwing herbivores out in, in a field willy-nilly we're actually confining them to one-day spots using high-tech electric fencing moving one two three four five days and and so any any one spot is only pruned for 24 hours and then it rests for 60 days and then that pruning occurs again now you talked about that at highland when i saw you speak there are we going to get to see some of that on the tour today absolutely awesome. yeah yeah okay. we'll see that on the tour very cool now um you mentioned bees that's a hot topic right now there's a lot of people talking yes. about bees yes. what's what's the big deal for well, people that may one, one one in four for sure and arguably one in three bites of food that you eat require a bee to pollinate it so, some plants you know pollinate just with like like, like um you know like corn mm -hmm. <laughs> doesn't need bees uh, uh now corn bees, has monsanto <laughs> well well the, the wind the wind the wind wafts the uh the, the pollen it, it it's high it shatters down onto the silks mm -hmm. and uh corn but most let's say one in three to one in four, which is a lot, either a quarter to a third of every morsel of food that you eat requires a pollinator. So just imagine taking a third to a quarter of your diet options off the plate. And then of course, you know, who knows then what else happens. Right. And so a lot of people see pollinators as kind of the canary in the mine. Right. They, they are the, you know, they are the, the, the greatest, um, the most, easily measurable barometer right. of ecosystem balance right. and when the pollinators are suffering it's inevitable that other things will suffer as well just, just like just like the amphibians were kind of the part the, the barometer of DDT of the, of the pesticide insecticide um, the amphi you know the, the three-legged salamanders infertile frogs uh, the, the amphibian studies were the ones that eventually drove public policy and and I would suggest that today we're entering a, a kind of a you know round two of that right. where the pollinators are beginning are going to begin to drive awareness and policy and things going forward. So since we're kind of on the cusp of that, and you know, let's assume some people listening haven't read this or aren't aware, what's going on with the bees and the other pollinators? Well, the the, 
the uh, the collapse um, there's a thing called colony collapse disorder and uh, it's where it's where a, a colony of bees will literally just uh, die out now <clears throat> now they've always died out I mean I mean they're living things and living things you know live and die and there's a certain amount but we've never seen the kind of numbers the kind of percentages uh, in loss that, that we have today the jury is still out as to exactly why uh, cer certainly certainly um, there are there are indicators that that chemicals uh, cause a problem there's another indicator that moving the bees around you know you're familiar with these tractor trailer loads of bees that go from orchard to canola to whatever well that's an extremely unnatural thing on bees that you know um, bees like to stay in one place and and it's symptomatic of a monoculture segregated agriculture where you have way too much pollination requirement at a certain time uh, in one place that is symptomatic of a of a simplistic um, monocrop type production system as opposed to a mosaic that has enough variety uh, uh, blossoming at different times to maintain a nice healthy uh, bee population okay. that's one and and the third the third you know there's another uh, I indicator that uh, that is of course uh, mites and um, and there's there's numerous you know numerous kinds of mites that are coming on um, are are they helped are the mites stimulated by you know environmental factors probably yes um, and so anyway there, there are numerous factors and don't know which one they are all all we can know for sure is that the the significant percentage of loss of entire bee colonies um, is a is cause for concern that that's for sure right right so we'll have links to there were a couple of things you mentioned in there too again guys go to naturalstacks.com we'll have links to that uh, so you can go down that rabbit hole a little bit further if you want um, I know Dave Asprey just had a podcast and I forget who the, the guest was but he talked at length about that um, you know and there there are a lot of wild pollinators too you know bumblebees and certain wasps and things like that and and those are being studied interestingly uh, last year and this year uh, we've participated in a Smithsonian um, study that that includes pollinators they're, they're studying like five benchmarks and one of them is pollinators and here on our farm they found a healthy um, population of all eight Virginia bumblebee uh, types so that was pretty cool that's really cool I remember you, you mentioned that at, at the talk in Highland and yeah. I mean I think that's further evidence that when you see a decline everywhere else mm -hmm. you're seeing ideal yes uh environment or ecosystems here mm -hmm. exactly yeah, right, so, right, right. so it's further evidence that what you're doing here mm -hmm. is working and working right. at at the ideal level i mean right. it's, it's optimal right uh, right so right. um so for you guys listening uh, if we haven't mentioned it joel's giving a what he calls the lunatic farm tour today so we're going to have a hard stop we've got about 30 minutes left and i've got two uh i, I guess maybe non-farming or or We'll kind of shift gears a little bit and one of the things that you speak about is um, how we can kind of apply you know what you do here as kind of an, uh, something to drive change as, as an antidote for cultural maladies is the way that you put it <laughs> I, I love that 
because um, that's our that's what our podcast is all about. Uh -huh. We we are we're people who are into that self evolution and, mm -hmm. and constantly growing mm -hmm. and trying to become the best version of ourselves that we mm -hmm. can be. Mm -hmm. So so you know how can you know you talk about integrity farming? How can we use that, but also in terms of health, food, fitness, um, in that movement? Uh, you know, in your words, for principles for, for a floundering culture. Yeah, well, I think I think the first thing you have to realize is that you're not helpless. Um, you know, helplessness is incredibly disempowering. And uh, and if you're going and and if you if you really latch hold to the fact that man, um, I can uh, I, I can change my trajectory. And and of course. In doing so, facilitate a change direction trajectory for the greater world. Right. All right, then that's an incredibly empowering thing to, to think I I can move my trajectory yeah. from this to that a, a trajectory that, that's going to move me toward you know obesity, diabetes, and high health you know a, a high probability of sickness and disease blah 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 you know down that way um, and, and including a uh, high probability of continuing uh, dead zones in the Gulf of Mexico and infertile frogs and, and destroyed pollinators, okay? Right. Uh, and, and unbreathable air and un unpotable water, okay? Yeah. Um, to, to a trajectory that is one of, of vibrant health, uh, you know, personally, relationally, and then ecologically, you know, moving on out. And that's an incredibly empowering thing. So, so, um, so, so first, you know, I want to inspire people to realize you can change that trajectory. Now, here comes the hard part. You know, once you've once you've bought into that, then the hard part is changing the trajectory. And um, and so I kind of have I kind of have a three part thing that I tell people. You know, first of all, I tell them, you know, get in your kitchen. Uh, you're not you're not going to change this trajectory being hooked on hot pockets and and and, and frozen you know pizza right <laughs> you're you're gonna you're gonna have to um as much emphasis and interest as you've placed on you know keeping up with celebrity culture the kardashians and uh and the latest um you know uh, uh convenience food ad um you have to put that attention on on your own um, wellness, that's diet, it's exercise, it's feeding your mind and body good things, mm -hmm. good thoughts, good good activities, and good food. All right. So instead of going to the NASCAR races, um, you know maybe you should go out, find a farmer, and chop thistles for a day, and get your body moving. You know, uh, yeah, I'm all for exercise too. Right. But, but I like meaningful stuff. Right. You know. Um, so anyway, so that, so that or, you know, or put in a garden or, or whatever. Um, so so, uh, first of all, you know, get in your kitchen and, and begin preparing from scratch. We, we say we say ultimately, um, ultimately, personal integrity starts with home centricity. Bring your stuff home. Don't view your house as a pit stop between all the important parts of life. Mm -hmm. Look at your home as a haven, as your castle. And, and bring your life to your home and then radiate out from that anchor and that integrity, radiate out your 
your your joy and your um, your energy kind of as a as an outgrowth of this wonderful um, nest in your home. That's number one. Number two is um, take your recreational and entertainment budget for one year and devote it to finding your food sources. Every community now has really good farmers around it. That wasn't the case 20 years ago, but but you know we're on we're on a tsunami. And I'll tell you something. I I speak all over the world, and I talk to thousands and thousands of farmers who are just on the cusp. They need. If I had 10 more customers, I could quit my town job and farm full time. You could be the catalyst, right? To letting them meet their dream. Right. And wow, that is something cool to do. To have a guy come and say, you, you viscerally, physically, tangibly enabled me to meet my dream. I mean, the only, the only thing, the only thing um, better than you meeting your dream is helping somebody else meet theirs. Right. Right? right. So, 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 so every community has, you know, good, good farmers, good sources, good places. Uh, you won't find it in the supermarket, you know, you have to you have to put a little bit of time in it, but there's an entire kind of a subculture, if you will, uh, um, 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 percolating under the under the radar that is offering things. So, so, so learn, find that out. And number three, I always encourage people do something for yourself. I don't care. I don't care if it's, if it's a, a tomato in a flower pot to, to, to enjoy the, the, the miracle of of seed plant nourishment you know just participate in the majesty and the and the the, the mysticalness of of life um, it may be an under sink a vermicomposting thing all your kitchen stuff goes in a little uh, uh, verma you know you get these little kits now they're right. tiny okay. little vermicomposting kit and the the, uh, the 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 earthworm castings become your your plant food for your flowers and the stuff in your house um, Maybe maybe you have enough room for a backyard garden. Maybe you get one of these stacking stacking uh, gardens for, and, and you hang it out your out your your second. You know you're in a condominium. Well, hang it out your second floor window. One of these columns that you drip water in. You you put uh, earthworm castings and compost, and you can grow you know uh, peppers and and herbs and thyme and stuff out of this pipe that dangles from. You. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. Right. And 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 jumping in. To, to viscerally connect with our ecological umbilical is 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 the almost uh, it's such a primal human desire and essence that you owe it to yourself to your humanness if you will to make that connection so get in your kitchen find your food treasures and do something participate in some small way in the magic of life. I, I love so much of that. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about personal responsibility and, and that mm -hmm. you have control of, of your, your life and your destiny. And um, so there's, there's a lot there that rings true to what we, the sure. message that we deliver on the show. So, mm -hmm. so that's great. Um, you know, and it's, it's really cool that you mentioned kind of that there, there is a big movement towards rewilding or, or trying to find that balance yes. from, yes. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say being over civilized, but getting back to nature and getting you know, being outside. Well, Richard Louvre in his book, uh, Nature Deficit Disorder, you know, he, he coined the term nature deficit disorder. And, and I think, 
I think there is that the, the danger, you know, if you want to say, well, well, what could it hurt if I if I'm more interested in the Kardashians than my Karens? Okay, I, I mean, just for a second. Right. The the problem with that is that you you lose common sense, you lose humility, and you lose a sense of dependency on something bigger than yourself, and that's a dangerous place to enter when you think that you can basically pull the plug on your dependency on 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 something on something bigger than yourself mm -hmm. that that that's a dangerous place that's yeah that, we could we could go way down that rabbit hole <laughs> but i've got another question that i really want to cover with you um but i i love that i think that's great maybe another day we'll, we'll talk yeah, about that okay. one so as as donna and i were driving over here this morning you know we, we're just we're thinking about how fascinating it is that i mean first of all this place is beautiful if you guys are not if you're just listening do yourself a favor and go check out the video just so you can see like where we're sitting and, and what joel's place looks like but um you know it, it's it's very much like that that first point you just said in the last question where you've made this your home you've made it the center of what you do and and your passion your joy for everything radiates out and it kind of attracts people to mm -hmm. you and to this and um, you know we were just at a conference and, and I think the analogy the way that I can relate to that was you know at, at different booths around the expo floor mm -hmm. we've all experienced this there are just certain booths where you realize that that the people behind that booth are doing something special yes and there's just this magnetism towards that mm -hmm. and and Donna and I were talking about that as we drove over here and it was just it's fascinating and and inspiring that you have at some point you you i remember you talking about this in highland where you know it was a family decision mm -hmm. that you guys were going to turn this place around mm -hmm. do what you did was there ever a, a moment in your mind where you said okay i want to be a pioneer for this movement and i want to go out and take it to the world or was it something a little more organic where it just started working and yeah. you said i've got to share this yeah, it, it, it was much more organic. We never aspired. I mean, uh, you know how your your um, your mission statements change with your own maturity or level of understanding. So when Teresa and I got married and came back, you know, and we wanted to farm, our mission statement was statement was very simple: make a living on the farm. I mean, it was as simple as that. We, you know, our our family. I mean, my mom and dad. They they worked. They both worked town jobs. To, to buy the farm in the 1960s. And and so when Teresa and I were able to start at the end of the 70s and, and, and in the 80s, um, uh, we, you know, we, we had this, we had this raw land. It was in pretty rough shape, but we had that as a platform. And, and, and looking back, I mean, her, her, she came from a farm family, but her dad was a school teacher. Her mom was a secretary. In other words, they were farmers, but they were not making a full-time living. Right. That's a huge, and, and many farmers today, if not most, actually run the farm as a weekend farm or after-hours farm and, and work in town to support the farm addiction. Right. I, I totally get that because that was our legacy. And Teresa and I, we said, why can't we, why can't we make a full-time living here, you know? And so we had a good foundation. We had a good philosophy of this, you know, um, um, ecological non-chemical uh, direct market approach and so it was very simple make a make a full-time living and that's that's exactly what we did then what happened was that 
that we were successful and the world discovered us literally uh and, and we got featured in a couple magazine articles and some you know media came and the next thing you knew the phone was ringing off the hook saying how do you do this how well, do you do that what was the first time you you realized like okay we, we might be getting famous was it was it food inc or was it before that oh way before that it would have been in uh in about 1988 okay uh way back way back um i was asked to speak at the at the uh, Virginia um, Association for Biological Farming annual meeting. It was held in Charlottesville that year, and I was asked to speak, and they only gave me 30 minutes uh, because I was a little bit, you know, young and untried and untrue and, and whatever. Un, not untrue, but just untried. Right. Um, you know, and the organizers, you don't, you don't risk so much on this new, you know, the new guy, the right? New guy, right, right? He's the new guy, right? right, right. <clears throat> and so, so they gave me, they gave me just 30 minutes before lunch and um and so i actually i put together a powerpoint and, uh, well it wasn't a power it was a slide program back then you know right. the kodak carousel right <laughs> back in the 80s and uh and 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 practiced i i actually you know i knew i had 30 minutes so i would practice in front of a mirror with a clock i say i've got to be at this slide you know at 10 minutes and this one at notice the preparation yeah yeah if you get an opportunity go in prepared yeah yeah right. prayer, prayer okay so i had this you know carefully timed and um and so i went in i, I went into the thing and i started in and i kept getting interrupted by applause by laughter i mean i had this thing you know i, I had this thing uh, down and um as as it turned out uh they wanted they wanted to they wanted to cut me off at 25 minutes and not 30, and a guy stood up and came over. Well, the crowd almost mutinied. No, let him talk, let him go, let him go. And, and, and so, so they gave me another 10 minutes, and I finished up and got done. The room erupted in a standing ovation. And I still remember, I mean, that's been, whatever, 35 years ago. I still remember it like yesterday. It was so, it was so, um, well, the energy yeah. was just, un and, and just the, 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 the affirmation yeah. We believe. We believe. Right. You know, it was really, really powerful. And at that moment, um, I realized, well, we've got a message here that resonates with people to their deepest soul. And that's powerful. And I'm sure that, I mean, not only does that energize you to come back and, and continue doing what you're doing, but, but even to dig deeper and find better ways to do what you're doing so that when you take it out to the public, sure. that you're bringing them the very best, you know, not, not the beta version of it, but right. the... Right. The, Absolutely. Right. We we learn we learn every day, every year. We you know we make tweaks, we make refinements, we do we try new things, and um, some of them work, uh, some of them don't. But um, we absolutely see ourselves as, as a testing ground now of of you know the some the cutting edge the cutting edge stuff. So one of the things that we love about this show, and you and I were talking about it before we, we actually sat down, that you've been on the Joe Rogan show, one of the things that, 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 that we agree draws people to that is that, you know, he is inquisitive, he's a lifetime learner. Right. Um, you know, we love to use this as a platform to learn and to share that knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that, that I find fascinating or, or, or inspiring about you is that you have continued to evolve and learn. Like you said, you speak all mm -hmm. over the world now. Your skill set 
1979 was, okay, how do I make a living being a Mm -hmm. farmer? Your skill set now is vastly different. You've never stopped growing and evolving. Yes, yes. Can you speak a little bit So so what happened, yeah, it's a great question. So what happened, as I said, our first mission statement was, we want to make a living on the farm. You know, that was, was pretty simple. But then... After, you know, after um, this, this kind of escalation of, of outside interest, how do you do this? How do you do that? And, and, and then, you know, I wrote, a, uh, I wrote the manual on the pastured poultry and sold it through Stockman Grass Farmer. And it went, anyway, you know, fa- go forward 15 years. And we basically rewrote the mission statement to, to, uh, to develop um, emotionally, economically, and environmentally enhancing agricultural prototypes and facilitate their duplication throughout the world. Okay. So you can see how that, that mission statement expanded right. as our world expanded, not because we grasped for it or because we fought for it, but because the world rose up to meet passionate, integrity, creative ideas. Mm-hmm. And I believe the world will always rise to embrace integrity, passionate, creative ideas. Somewhere I've seen a shirt that says Joel for president. Are you guys selling those around here today? Because I will totally buy one. I should have been wearing that. <laughs> no, there, there are numerous ones of them, but uh, uh, no, no, I haven't. We're, we're just really blessed. Um, we're, we're really uh, thankful that we've been able to be here and see these things go. And now with the intern apprenticeship program and to be surrounded by these, you know, these, these, these young people, these enthusiastic uh, young people so that I can leverage my, my elder wisdom um, as I age uh, on, on enthusiastic. So now when I want to try things, I don't actually have to do all the work. I can say, Hey, let's go try this. And I've got, I've got energy, you know, to, to to pick us up when we when we fall. So and that's that's going back, back, back to the way tribes used to accumulate wealth was the matriarchs and patriarchs. Let's see now. I remember in the, you know the blizzard of so and so, the you know the the cows found shelter here, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's that kind of wisdom that that elders bring. Um, and if they if they're also blessed with a continued inquisitiveness and curiosity to grow, uh, to leverage that on youthful enthusiasm is really a, a win-win combination. Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, one of the questions that we ask all of our guests, and it's normally the very last question, um, this will be your next to last question. <laughs> um, we're going to change it up a little bit, but the, the normal last question is your top three tips to live optimal. I asked you that in Highland. So, in an effort to not have duplicate questions, we're going to kind of go with a follow-up to what we've just been saying. What are the three biggest lessons that, that you've learned personally or that have helped with growth and development over your career? Oh, my. For sure, the first one, the first one is um, uh, don't, don't second-guess your passion. Your passion is what it is. Um, and and uh, if you once you have that, don't let anybody pull you off that path. Don't let anybody dissuade you. Don't let anybody tell you that it, it can't be done or it won't work or whatever. I've been told all those things. 
And and my dad used to say, if at first you don't suck a seed, just suck and suck and suck until you do suck a seed. You know, just just but 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 just stay stay with that passion. I would say number two would be to um, to realize that you don't have all the gifts and talents necessary probably to pull off your passion. It's going to take somebody else. Uh, many times it's a spouse, but many times it's a it's a it's a partner. You know, some either formal or informal, but that most of us most of us uh, do better with a partner that speaks to our weaknesses you know that has strengths where our weaknesses are so um, so, so part I'm, I'm, I'm you know I mean collaborations partnerships um, so that so that one plus one is three right uh, th that's that would that would certainly be um, number two and number three I would say is just to never feel like you've arrived a little bit of hunger is always good yeah and and staying hungry, yeah. staying hungry for a for a solution, and realizing this is not a this is not a destination. It's a you know it's trite, but man is that profound. Right. To, because the day that you think, baby, I've got it, you know, we've arrived. That's the day you quit living. Yeah, it it it's, it is. You're right. It, it sounds kind of cliche, but when you go through life and you see people who do and don't embody that on either side is very obvious. Yeah. Well, and, and I see it, especially in my profession of farming. Um, you know, the average American farmer is 60 years old and that means that, I mean, that's average. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of farmers way over 60. Right. And, um, and I just spoke this week in, in Montana and, uh, to a, it was, it was started as a ladies day. Um, it was called ladies day on the range. And uh, it was sponsored by the Conservation District for Women, okay? And two weeks after, two weeks before I came, um, the, the, whatever, the, the powers that be said, you know, if we're going to bring him in here. We ought to have the men listen to him, too. And so two weeks before I came, they opened it up to the men. Well, I showed up. There were, you know, 180 people there or so in the room. In this, and and, and these, these old farmers, some of them, they wouldn't even face me. In other words, we're in a big gymnasium with tables, and they turned around, crossed their arms, and looked the opposite way. They would not even, because their wives drug them, you really? know, screaming and kicking, you know, to hear this weirdo who was going to threaten their paradigm. And by the end of the day, every one of them was turned around smiling. And, and, and I made a big point of it because, because um, you know, whether you make a conscious thing, I have arrived, or whether you just subconsciously check out of new ideas, new information, new thoughts, right. they're both, they have the same effect. Well, the, the moment you're, you're no longer open to new ideas or, or new potentials, you stop growing. Right. I mean, as you know, in nature, that's yeah. a perfect analogy. When you exactly. stop growing, you start dying. Exactly, exactly. You're either growing or you're dying, right. one or the other. Okay. Well, this would be a good way to end it, but we got a little bit more. Um, Two or three books that, that you think we should read. Well, I think you should read all ten of mine. <laughs> okay, we'll put we'll put links to all of your books in the show notes, so you guys go check but, that but, out. But no, if if you're looking for for just overall, um, uh, I would recommend my book, folks. This ain't normal. That's kind of the broad cultural, mm -hmm. and it gives some of the history that we've talked about here today of of of, of, of that sort of thing. Um, a second one certainly uh, is Stephen Covey. Uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, profound, profound book. Um, 
really good. And, um, and and a third one, if you really want to get like iconic understanding of 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 the carbon system, um, is certainly Sir Albert Howard's 1943 an agricultural testament. That's still in my way of thinking that's as good as they come. And here's a quote from that book. He says, it's the temptation of every civilization to take what nature has spent a thousand years creating and turn it into cash. That was written in 1943. Okay. That's powerful. Sounds a lot like what's going on right Here's now. a second one. He says, he says, when we, when we depend on artificial manures, that's what he called chemical fertilizers, Artificial manures, they grow artificial plants, which grow artificial animals, which make artificial people who then can only stay alive by taking artificials. This was, this was before the pharmaceutical industry. It was before, you know, uh, the broad use of chemical fertilizer. Uh, that guy was a prophet. That, that's, yeah, that's a great way of, of phrasing it. <laughs> yeah. that, that was way before his time. Way to, before. To see all yeah. that and say that. Absolutely. So so with that said, this I promise this is the last question. You said we're, we're kind of on this wave that's, that's going up. What's the future for this movement? What, what, what do you What's the future for this movement? You know, it's, it's going to be a rocky road. Uh, this movement is, is absolutely progressing. The baby boomers and the millennials, you know, they're looking for, they're looking for regeneration, not orthodoxy. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think I think it's going. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of of of, of powers uh, that don't want health. Um, you know, uh, Wendell Berry says, "What's wrong with us creates more GDP than what's right with us." You know, and uh, and so so um, there, there's there's a lot of pushback is what I'm getting right. at. And so when I say it'll be a disturbing time, it's going to be a disturbing time. You're going to see, you know, um, additional, we're seeing it already in agriculture, a huge pushback from agricultural scientists saying that the only place, that only secure place for a chicken is in a battery cage in a, in a confinement animal factory. Uh, that, that, that exposing chickens to the outdoors is, is exposing them to germs and insecure. In fact, it, they, they call you a bioterrorist. Yeah, they call me a bioterrorist. Yeah, and so so the pushback is big. So you know, um, I I never I never prophesy as to you know what's going to be like in twenty years. I, I I really don't. You know, it seems like we take two steps forward, one step back, two forward, one one step back. Um, but I I know which side ultimately will win because I know which works and I know which side doesn't work. Uh, the question is, as a civilization. Can can we handle the, um, the the new the new paradigms and the new realities fast enough? Uh, you know before we before we go through collapse um, to embrace a different you know a different future. That that's the question, and um, and, and time will tell. But but I, I do know I do know that 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 a, a an embrace of these historically proven uh, principles will stand the test of time. Right. And, and so that's the way to bet. Okay, cool. So for everybody listening, realize that you have control, take responsibility, 
do your part for the movement, support local farmers, be the reason that they can stop working their job in town. Oh, that was perfect timing. We just lost the camera. <laughs> it scared the cat. Scared the cat. That's hilarious. Joel, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This has been awesome. I mean, hit record. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for tuning in to this episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. Remember, the show notes for this episode are at optimalperformance.com slash Joel Salatin. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Please feel free to share the Optimal Performance Podcast with your friends and family. Uh, If it helps you, if you enjoy it, odds are it's going to help them. They'll enjoy it too. Uh, So anybody that you can think of, please share this with them. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, make sure you go back. Last week, we had Luke's story, talked a lot about biohacking, cold thermogenesis or cold water exposure, uh, the water that you drink, how to hack your sleep. It was a really, really cool episode, so go back and check that out. Next week, we've got Dr. Bill Andrews, anti-cancer, anti-aging researcher. We're going to be talking about skincare specifically. We've got some really cool information there that you don't want to miss about your personal care products and and the skincare stuff that you're putting on your skin every single day. Um, So make sure you tune in for that one. Uh, Social media, interact with it. We are at Natural Stacks on Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We want to help you live optimal. So if you've got questions, if you've got uh, tips to share with us, hit us up. We're happy to talk to you. We want to interact and engage with you guys, build this awesome community, and keep pushing things forward. So hit us up on there. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. We'll catch you next Thursday. Live optimal.